Tale 5 of The Story of King Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of King Arthur in Twelve Tales by Winona Caroline Martin. Tale 5, Geraint with the Sparrowhawk. The brave Geraint, a knight of Arthur's court, a tributary prince of Devon, one of the great order of the Table Round, had married Enid, Eniel's only child, and loved her as he loved the light of heaven. Tennyson's Geraint and Enid In the days when the round table was the height of its glory, it was Arthur's custom to hold his court at Caerleon-upon-Usk once a year at the Feast of Pentecost, which, it will be remembered, was likewise his birthday and the anniversary of his coronation, and it was also his rule never to sit down to the banquet that was then spread until he and his knights had either seen or heard of some unusual thing. On this particular day, therefore, the king and the queen and all the noblemen and ladies of the court were assembled in the high hall of the castle, awaiting the report of some strange adventure, and feeling sure, such were the exciting times in which they lived, that it would be forthcoming in some shape or form before very long. Suddenly there appeared in their midst Arthur's chief forester, still wet from the woods, bearing news that a white heart had been seen in the forest. Now a white heart was then, and is still, an unusual sight, and it was the report of its appearance was considered by all to be sufficiently peculiar to permit the feast to begin. Naturally, therefore, the conversation as the guests passed into the banquet hall was about this wonderful animal. "'Oh, how beautiful it must be, and how I should like to possess its head!' exclaimed one of the queen's maidens and her wish was echoed by the first one, and then another of her companions. Hearing this, the gallant knights were immediately on the alert. Since the ladies desire this head, they cried enthusiastically, turning towards their king, why may we not procure it for them? At this Arthur smiled and gave the order for the horns to be blown, announcing a hunt for the following day. And he who slays the heart, said he, shall have the head with the privilege of bestowing it upon the lady whom he loves best in all the world. To this plan they were all ready enough to agree until one of the younger knights of their number, Geraint by name, a tributary prince of Devon, arose in his place and thus addressed his sovereign. Sir King, for those of us whose hearts have already found a harbor in some gentle maiden's breast, the plan is a good one. But in case the prize should be won by such a knight as I, who am still heart-whole and heart-free, what then? Then Arthur pondered for a moment, but before he could come to any decision, Lancelot arose, and in his turn addressed the king. "'Your Majesty,' said he, "'I suggest that, in such a case, the fortunate one bestow the head upon the flower of your court, Queen Guinevere.' At this there was great applause, which only subsided when the beautiful queen herself arose to speak. "'My lords,' she said, "'let it be understood by all that, should this prize fall to my lot,' I will keep it in safety and make it a wedding gift to the first bride that one of your number shall bring to our court. Thereupon the room rang again with the clapping of hands, and the matter was so arranged. Now the queen had asked, as a favor, that she and her ladies be allowed to see this hunt. But when, with the first signs of dawn, the eager knights were up and away, Guinevere was still lost in sweet dreams. At last, however, she arose, and in the company with a single maiden, took horse and crossed the river. Presently they reached the woods, and there, drawing rein, waited upon a tiny knoll, listening for the baying of the hounds. Instead of that, however, the first sounds greeting their ear was the galloping horse's hoofs, 
for Geraint had overslept and was now making his tardy appearance wearing neither hunting dress nor weapon except a gold-hilted sword. Upon seeing the queen, he immediately rose forward and bowed low, which was an act of courtesy she returned with stately grace. Then she laughed and said, Fie, prince, you are late, later than we. Yes, noble queen, replied Geraint, so late, in fact, that I have, as you see, left arms and hunting garb at home, and am, like you, to see the hunt, not to join it. For shame, sir knight, said the queen, laughing. One sees plainly by your conduct that you are still free in heart, otherwise you would have taken more interest in this prize, which all the maidens so desire. Geraint was about to make some chivalrous reply when the conversation was interrupted by the sudden appearance around a bend in the road of a knight riding with his visor up, thus revealing a youthful but extremely haughty countenance. At his side rode a lady, and behind the two lagged a little black dwarf. Now it occurred to Guinevere that she had never seen the man's face in Arthur's hall, and immediately she became curious to learn who he might be. Turning to her maiden, therefore, she said, Go, I pray you, and ask that dwarf his master's name. But the little creature, in spite of the smallness of his stature, was old and vicious and irritable, and answered with scant courtesy, that he would give the damsel no information. Whereupon the quick color came into her cheeks, and she replied hotly, Then I will go ask your master himself. No, by my faith, you shall not, cried the ugly little fellow. You are not worthy to speak to one such as he. And with that he struck at her with his whip, so that she returned indignant to the queen. At this, Geraint, even more indignant than the maiden herself, spurred his horse, exclaiming sharply, Surely I will learn his name. But, prince though he was, he fared no better at the hands of the impudent little creature who struck at him also with his whip, cutting his cheek until blood spurted forth. In an instant, Geraint had instinctively caught at the hilt of his sword. Then he remembered the honor of his knighthood, which would not permit him to fight with one smaller or weaker than himself. So he returned to the queen and said, Your Majesty, rest assured that I will avenge this insult done in your maiden's person to yourself. At this moment, I cannot do battle with the knight, for he is fully armed and I have only my sword. But I will follow, never losing sight of him, and doubtless I shall sooner or later come to a place where arms may be had for pledge or loan. Then I will fight him and break his pride. And on the third day from this, if I have not fallen the contest, I will be with you again. Farewell. Farewell, said Guinevere, feeling sad to see the brave young fellow start such a quest. Then, she added more lightly, Perchance in your wandering, Sir Geraint, you will find the princess who is to bring your heart into bondage. At this, Geraint glances down the wooden lance which the knight with his two companions was pursuing. Then he laughed softly, saying, Princesses, your majesty, are found in king's palaces. By all appearances, if I follow that road, I shall be far more likely to meet with some ragged beggar maiden. Ah, well, sometimes a ragged beggar maiden has proved to be a princess in disguise, replied the queen. But, however that may be, if you find her, Sir Prince, you are sure that she is the maiden of your choice, bring her to me, though she be dressed in rags and tatters, and I will clothe her for your bridles like the sun. Farewell. Then Geraint bowed low to his sovereign, and hastily spurred his horse, lest the haughty knight should after all escape him. So he rode by ups and downs, through many a grassy glade, with his eyes fixed upon the three, until at last they climbed a ridge beneath which Geraint, when he too had reached the spot, beheld the long street of a little town, on one side of which rose a fortress, white and beautiful as if the workmen had just left it. 
On the other side, however, he saw the ruins of what had once been a stately castle. Straight towards the fortress rode the knight with his companions, and was soon lost to sight beyond its walls. Nevertheless, Geraint was not discouraged, for he knew that he had now tracked him to his lair. So he passed warily into the village, seeking arms and shelter for the knight. He soon discovered, however, that neither would be so easy to find, for this tiny hamlet seemed to be a very busy place indeed, so busy, in fact, that none of its inhabitants appeared to have any time to talk to the stranger, in reply to whose questions they merely muttered something about a sparrow-hawk. So Geraint presently came to an armorer's shop, where a man sat vigorously riveting a helmet. Here he drew rein and called out, "'My man, may I hire some armor from you?' Whereat the fellow replied, without so much as stopping work or turning his head, "'Friend, hear the labors for the sparrow-hawk. Have little time for idle gossip. Armor, certainly not. You will find that each man has his own at such time as this. Do you forget that sparrow-hawk is tomorrow?' Then Geraint's anger flamed, for this was no means the first answer of this kind he had received. "'A thousand pips eat up your sparrow-hawk,' he cried hotly. You think the cackle of your hamlet, the murmur of the whole wide world. But what is it all to me? Speak, if you are not all hawk-mad like the rest, and tell me where I might find shelter for the night, and arms, 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 to fight my enemy. At this outburst, the armorer looked up amazed. Then, seeing that Geraint was richly clad, he came forward with his helmet still in his hand, and answered courteously enough. Pardon me, stranger knight. We hold attorney here tomorrow morning, and we have scarcely enough time between then and now for all the work that is to be done. Arms? Indeed, I cannot tell you where you will find any, for all are needed. Shelter? The town is already full, but perhaps the old Earl Enel, who lives in that ruined castle across the bridge yonder, would take you in. So Geraint, still feeling somewhat annoyed at the reception he was receiving, crossed the bridge and soon reached the gate of the old castle. There, dressed in a suit of frayed magnificence that once had been fit for feasts and ceremonies, sat an aged man with a snowy white beard. "'Where are you going, my son?' said he as Geraint rode up. "'I am looking for a harborage for the night, good father,' replied the young man, to which the Earl Enel replied, for the old man was he, "'Then enter here, I pray you, and partake for such poor entertainment as this house can afford.' I will gladly accept your hospitality, said Geraint. Then he added laughingly, So long as you do not serve me sparrow-hawks for dinner. At this the old earl sighed, saying, My son, graver cause have I than you to curse this hedgerow thief, this sparrow-hawk. But ride in, ride in, and we will talk of him later. So Geraint rode into the court between those broken stones, sprouted many a prickly star and thistle, then passed through a shattered archway plumed with fern, until he stood by a half-fallen tower, looking up at the pieces of a turret stair-worn by feet that now were silent. And as he waited he heard the voice of a maiden, ringing like the clear note of a bird through the open casement of the hall, and these were the words of her song. Turn, fortune, turn thy wheel, and lower the proud. Turn thy wide wheel through the sunshine, storm, and cloud. Thy wheel and thee we neither love nor hate. Turn, fortune, turn thy wheel, with smile or frown. With that wild wheel woe go not up or down. Our hoard is little, but our hearts are great. Smile and we smile, the lords of many lands. 
frown and we smile, the lords of our own hands. For man is man, and master of his fate. Turn, turn, turn thy wheel above the staring crowd. Thy wheel and thou are shadows in the cloud. Thy wheel and thee we neither love nor hate. The sweet singer, who was thus bidding defiance to the harsh rulings of an unkind fate, was Enid, the beautiful young daughter of the old earl. And now, as her song ceased, she heard her father calling, and hastened down from her bower to aid her mother in welcoming their guest. As she moved about the hall, clad in her faded silks, preparing and serving the simple meal with all the grace of a princess, Geraint's eyes followed her until his heart was stirred within him, and he said to himself, Here's the one maiden in the world for me. Then, as they sat at meal, Yenol began to tell his guest the story of his misfortunes. You see, yonder fortress, said he, there lives my bitter enemy and the cause of all our woe. He is my nephew and a wild and turbulent fellow. Therefore I refused him the hand of my daughter, whereupon he caused a vile slander to be circulated concerning me, saying that his father had left him gold in my charge, which I refused to render up. Then, just three years ago, on the night before my Enid's birthday, he raised my own town against me, and sacked my house, and foully ousted me from my earldom, after which he built that fortress yonder to overawe such of my friends as are still true to me. Hearing this recital of wrong and cruelty, the young knight's fighting blood began to boil within him, and with a flash of his eye he said eagerly, Tell me, Earl Yenel, what was that knight whom I saw ride into the fortress today with a lady and a little black dwarf, your nephew? Yes, replied the old man. He has come back for the Sparrowhawk Tournament, which is held here every year. Ah, exclaimed Geraint, the Sparrowhawk Tournament. Will you tell me about it? Certainly, said the earl. It is a tourney for which the prize is a golden sparrowhawk. Every knight must bring with him the lady whom he loves best in all the world and try to win the sparrowhawk for her. My nephew has never won it. Two years in secession, and if he wins it tomorrow, he will never need to fight for it again, for it will be sent to him every year. Therefore, the people here have named him the Sparrowhawk Knight. Then Geraint rejoiced, and after telling his kind host and hostess the story of the insult to the queen, he cried out exultingly, Earl, you know, cause I have enough to wish to fight this haughty Sparrow Knight, but now I have heard his story. I swear that in tomorrow's tourney I will forever break his pride. Do not tell me his name, I pray you, for I will force it from his own lips. I only ask that you lend me arms. Arms? replied the earl. Surely, Prince Geraint, though indeed they are old and battled. But have you forgotten the conditions of entering the tournament? The rule is that no knight may tilt unless he brings with him the lady whom he loves best in all the world. Therefore I fear that you cannot fight, for doubtless that fair lady is at this moment far away in Arthur's stately halls. Then Geraint smiled as he answered, No, Earl, you know, that fair lady is not, and never has been at Arthur's court, for but a few short hours ago I did not even know of her existence. But all that is changed now. Then, leading forward slightly, he added, Let me lay my lance in rest, my noble host, for this dear child, your daughter. If I fail, she shall go free, and her name remain as untarnished as before. But if I live, and can win your consent and hers, she shall be my true wife. At this the old man's heart rejoiced. 
yet he did not wish to sacrifice his child even to better her own fortunes as well as his. He looked about, therefore, only to find that the damsel, at the mention of her name, had slipped away. So he turned to his gentle wife, who was sitting at his side, saying, Mother, a maiden is a tender thing, and you will understand this child of ours better than anyone else. Speak to her before she goes to rest and learn, if you can, what her feelings are towards this young prince. At an early hour the next morning, the whole village was already astir, for this was the greatest day of their entire year. Grind, his princely bearing showing through his battered armor, rode to the lists with old Yenol, who were then joined by the countess and the fair Enid, who had shyly given her consent. In the center of the field were set up two great silver forks, across which lay a silver rod, and across the rod was placed the golden sparrowhawk, while circling all about the lists was a great crowd of knights and ladies. Presently a trumpet was blown, whereupon he who had offered the insult to the queen rode out proudly with his lady at his side, and cried aloud, to her that all might hear, Advance and take as fairest of the prize of beauty which these two past years I have won for you. Thereupon the lady was about to do his bidding when, to the amazement of all present, Geraint stepped forward and said courteously, remembering his knightly respect for all womanhood, One moment, I pray you, this year is another who makes claim to the prize. At this the haughty sparrowhawk turned and looked disdainfully at Enid in her faded silks and her champion in his rusty armor. If you think your lady is more worthy of the prize than mine, said he, are you willing to fight with me to prove it? I am, was Geraint's simple reply. Then the two set their spears in rest and clashed together so that three times their weapons were splintered, after which they dismounted and, drawing their swords, lashed at each other with blow on blow until all the crowd marveled at such an exhibition of prowess. For a long time it seemed that neither would ever be victorious, but just as Geraint, disadvantaged by his rusty armor, was beginning to breathe hard, the voice of old Yenol was heard above the tumult, crying, Remember the insult to the queen! At which Geraint's own heart whispered, And remember, too, the wrongs of Enid. Then he heaved his blade aloft so that it fell with such force upon his opponent's helmet that it cracked it through the haughty knight fell to the ground with a crash. Instantly the victor's foot was set on his enemy's breast while he cried out, As champion of our noble queen Guinevere, whom you have insulted, I demand your name. To which the once haughty knight replied, I yield. My name is Edrin, son of Nud. Then, Edrin, son of Nud, said Geraint sternly, three things shall you do, or else you die. First, you shall ride with your lady and your dwarf to Arthur's court, there to crave pardon of the queen for your insult. After that, you shall return to this place to contradict the vile slanders that you have circulated against your uncle. Then, you shall give back to him his earldom and relinquish forever all claim to his daughter's hands. To which Edrin answered meekly, My pride is broken, for Enid sees me fall. All these things will I do, Sir Knight. I yield. Then Geraint permitted him to rise and set him off towards Caerleon to perform the first part of his promise. And now it was the morning of the third day after the stag hunt, the day set for Geraint's departure to present his bride at Arthur's court. So Enid in her ivied tower 
woke early and lay for a time thinking joyously of this sudden change in her fortunes until her eye happened to fall upon the faded silk gown that was the very best in her wardrobe then for she was just a girl like other girls the slow tears began to fall at thought of the disgrace which such attire must surely bring upon her princely young champion when he presented her to the queen and the other richly gowned ladies of the court so it happened that her mother entering the room presently found her daughter weeping bitterly on her wedding dress my child my dearest child she cried in distress what can be the matter is it that you do not after all want to marry this brave young knight who has fought so nobly in our cause at this the maiden sobbing ceased and she managed to reply in a tone that convinced her mother oh no 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 how could it be that he is so brave and strong yet so gentle and so kind then perhaps you dread to leave your father and me continued the good mother but child child your husband will often bring you home to visit us and comfort us in our old age but once again the maiden shook her head and at last brokenly through her sobs she made known the cause of her grief oh mother mother it is a new dress that i want at this the countess smiled and left the room to reappear presently with a beautiful silken gown all branched and flowered with gold which she deposited tenderly on a nearby couch look enid she cried and tell me if you know it the girl obeyed and exclaimed in joyous surprise indeed mother indeed i do it is the birthday gift you had prepared for me on that unhappy night when our castle was sacked by edrin's men but i thought it was destroyed with all our other beautiful things no replied the countess your father was able to recover it so now it is your wedding gown rise quickly and put it on meanwhile geraint was anxiously awaiting the appearance of his bride-to-be and having grown a trifle impatient he sent word to ask when she would be ready the message was soon brought to him that her mother was dressing her in her best attire that she might do him credit at the court at this suddenly remembering the last words that the queen had spoken to him he hesitated for a moment and then he said ask her as a special favor to me although i can give her no reason for my wish that she wear the gown in which i first saw her now when this strange request reached enid the girl's smile faded and she was once again very sad nevertheless remembering all that the noble young knight had done for her and her family she quietly laid aside the beautiful robe in which she was already gowned and put on her old dress which now looked to her like a withered leaf in mid-november then she descended the turret stairs to meet her future husband whose smile showed his pleasure that she had respected his wish and soon the two mounted his horse and rode away meanwhile during the three days that geraint had spent in those varied adventures there had been excitement too at court on the first day the day of the hunt arthur himself had slain the hart therefore the prize of the beautiful white head had gone to the queen as the lady whom the king loved best in all the world on the second day edrin had arrived to make his humble apology and now it was the third day the day on which geraint had promised to return if he were successful in his quest guinevere therefore mounted to the turrets of the castle and stood shading her eyes with her slender white hand and looking far into the distance up the vale of usk presently she perceived a cloud of dust from which there emerged two figures on horseback a knight and a lady after a while she was able to recognize the knight as geraint 
but a lady is with him, said the queen to herself in surprise. Ah, me, I wonder if he is, after all, bringing me his ragged beggar maiden. Then she descended from her tower to greet her champion and to thank him for defending her honor. But as she spoke the gracious words, Geraint stepped forward and bowing low replied, Your Majesty, do not thank me, but thank this maiden here, but for whom I could not have fought as I did. She has promised to become my wife, therefore I have brought her to you in obedience to your last command. Meanwhile the ladies of the court had gathered about, and some were inclined to cast scornful glances upon this simple girl in her faded gown. But the queen, looking past the gown into the maiden's lovely face and gentle eyes, opened her arms wide in welcome. Then, turning to Geraint, she said, Sir Prince, we gladly receive your bride at Arthur's court. What her name and parentage are, you will doubtless inform us later, but I have no fear, for I know she is royal at heart. Therefore, according to my promise, I will clothe her for her wedding as never maiden with clothes before in Britain, and besides that, the head of the white heart is hers, for she is the first bride to be brought to these halls since the stag hunt. End of Tale 5 Recording by Morgan Z. Sowell, thetableround.com